Our first lesson this morning comes to us from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. This is uh, part of Peter's address to the crowd uh, just after receiving uh, the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. Listen for the word of the Lord. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent! And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who welcomed this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. This is the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus on that first Easter afternoon, and as I said, is from the Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 13 to 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and they told us, that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then he said to him, Oh, how foolish and you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer all these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is nearly over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, 
and broke it, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they did recognize him, and he, then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And so that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions and gathered together there. And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Imagine for a moment being asked to stand and recite the Apostles' Creed without including the phrase, the third day he rose again from the dead. Now, if we leave out that basic affirmation of our faith, we eliminate the rest of the creed. Because without the resurrection, there would be no ascension, no second coming, no church, no communion of saints, no forgiveness of sins, no resurrection of the body, and no life everlasting. What would be the point of standing and saying any kind of creed at all without including the resurrection of Jesus? Now, on that first Sunday, that first Easter Sunday afternoon, it was true that Christ had been raised from the dead. However, what we see here is the two disciples on the road to Emmaus don't seem to fully believe it. Despite having received word first-hand reports earlier that day, like Thomas, they left. Perhaps it was their doubt, the same doubt that Thomas had, that caused them to leave the community of believers, to take off from Jerusalem, because they didn't believe. They had doubts for themselves. They left the fellowship and the community of the believers. And just like Thomas, that would cause them to miss out on some amazing things. They had heard what had happened, but rather than remaining with the community in Jerusalem, they left. They cut themselves off from the fellowship and just left. And then later that day, they would find out what they had missed. But the resurrection was true. However, I suppose in that all-too-familiar, self-absorbed human way, it was not yet real to these two disciples. After all, Jesus hadn't appeared to them. Why should they believe the other people? Why should they be expected to believe what someone else said about these things? Well, I think the same is true for people today. We declare the resurrection to be true, but many may not feel it's real because it hasn't happened to them. They haven't seen it for themselves. They have not experienced the power of the presence of the resurrected Christ in their life in any way, shape, or form. Yes, they've heard the good news. They've even heard the testimony of others. They may have even heard us speak of it, and yet they cannot believe it, just like these two on the road to Emmaus. It could not be felt in their hearts. Now, both passages I read today have the heart at the center of the matter. In Acts, Peter is, of course, making his speech to the Pentecost crowds. And among them were probably even those who had called for Jesus' death. 
In the midst of Peter's address, they are moved by the words cutting to their hearts, the scripture tells us. It is in their hearts that they first felt what was being said was really true. In the midst of that address, it's their hearts that first move them. They are afflicted and affected there in the heart, and then they are brought to faith in all the rest of what Jesus had said and what Peter had to proclaim. And the same, I think, is true for Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. After recognizing Jesus in the breaking of the bread, they realize then that their hearts had been burning with the truth for some time. We ourselves have the same trouble. We are so geared to trust only what we ourselves can see that we miss out on what we feel in our hearts. Now, the road to Emmaus is one of the more famous resurrection appearances, but it's not the only one. There have been perhaps thousands of stories over the years told of Jesus appearing to people. And though some, I'll admit, are a little far-fetched, yet they always seem to make a profound difference in the lives of the individuals who experience them. If that is the case, should we then be so quick to discount those stories simply because we personally didn't witness them? And yet how often is that exactly what we do? The real problem is the same problem faced by the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We are just simply not geared in our minds to see what we do not expect to see. Consider how easily and how often our own minds plays trick on us. We, though, must be different people as believers. We must begin now as those who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, as those who look to the world and at the world through the eyes of our hearts. Otherwise, we will walk through life missing out on most of the really great things happening around us. These two disciples described today knew all about Jesus, but they did not comprehend who Jesus really was. Prior to the crucifixion, they had followed Jesus and they had seen him do so many great things. They admit that they had come to believe that he might be the Messiah, the one who would redeem Israel. But alas, with Jesus' death, they believed it was all gone. This Jesus could not be the Messiah because it didn't work out the way they had assumed it or imagined it would. It didn't go the way they understood it to be in Scripture. They knew enough about Scripture to look for a Messiah, but they did not know enough to see the whole truth about the Messiah and what would happen in Jerusalem in those days. How easy is it for us to read only what we want in Scripture, to read and imagine what we want to assume and to see, particularly about God in Christ. We want our image, of, and we look through Scripture and we reinforce our own image, and yet so often we miss out on the fullness of the truth about Christ when we only choose to see what we want to see. Now, I have to admit, being a proud Pennsylvania Dutchman from Lancaster County, I can understand how this works. I mean, after all, we do love our smorgasbord restaurants, do we not? And i got to tell you, living in Oklahoma, that's something I miss. But we must be careful 
not to apply the wisdom of the smorgasbord to Scripture, which so many of us do, consuming only what appears, appeals to us and leaving the rest for someone else, because that's quite the opposite of wisdom. We cannot pick and choose what we want in Scripture and ignore the rest. The whole of the body of Scripture is there for us to consume and enjoy and perceive. Reading the Bible with a vision that allows us only to pick and choose what we want causes us to miss out on so much of the glory of God, just like Cleopas and his friends. Their hopes and their visions of the Messiah, the ones they imagined, died on the cross that weekend. And even with the testimony of those who reported the resurrection, they could not see past their own reading and their own understanding of Scripture. How sad. And yet, how common even today. But all that began to change with the words of this stranger who met them on the road, who reopened to them the whole of the Scripture to see what they had previously missed, helping them to see that Scripture through the eyes of Christ rather than through their own eyes. Indeed, that is the way to read Scripture, my friends, to look upon and the way to look upon the world, setting aside our own notions, our own ideas, our own desires, and seeing it through the eyes of Jesus, the eyes of those who view Scripture and view the world through the lens of sacrificial love. When Jesus commanded us to love one another, we all remember that first thing, love one another, love one another, love one another. We so quickly say it, but so often we forget the other half of that commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Loving one another with a heart to forgive rather than to judge. Loving one another with a heart to give and not to take. To love one another with a heart to serve and not to be served. To love one another with a willingness to die even for those who do not deserve it. That is how Christ loved us. And that is the love with which we are called to love one another, everyone that we meet. Because when, friends, when we are able to put on the person of Christ and set aside our own desires, when we are able to live and act in ways that show that it ain't all about us, then there is nothing I have ever seen in this world that can set a person's heart on fire like truly, finally seeing life and the world and Scripture and faith through the eyes of Christ. And that doesn't come through your eyes. It comes through your heart, which has been transformed by the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because when our hearts burn within us, when our hearts tell us something as special is going on, when we first begin to feel that Christ is present, then we need to open our eyes and our ears to what is happening around us, looking for those visible signs that Christ is indeed present or that the Holy Spirit is indeed moving someone or ourselves or the world around us so that we may finally truly hear God speaking to us. Our hearts given over to Christ should direct us all the time when we act in this world. 
Our hearts given over to Christ should direct how we see this world. Reminds me of a story I was told about the teacher who, walking with his students early in the evening, asked of them, how do you know when the darkness has ended and the new day has begun? Of course, there's that one student who's always the first to speak, and you can imagine who it is because you've been in school with them, who immediately jumps up and says, oh, Lord, I know. Teacher, the darkness has ended and the day has begun when from a distance you can see an animal and tell whether it's a sheep or a dog. And the teacher just remained silent and looked down. And then there's that second student who says, teacher, I know. The darkness has ended and the day has begun when at a distance you can look at a tree and see whether it's a fig tree or an olive tree. And the teacher merely shook his head in disappointment until finally they said, teacher, tell us. And so the teacher looked at them and said, when you look into the face of another and only see a brother or a sister, then the darkness is ending and the day has begun. In very much the same vein with this in her mind, I think. It said that Mother Teresa, when asked why she devoted her life to the sick and to the dying, to the outcast, to the lowest of the low in India, why? Her reply was simply, because when I look into their faces, I see the face of Christ. Friends, perhaps if we looked at the world with our hearts, hearts given over to Christ, we might find it easier to see Christ in the faces of others as well. You might even find yourself like Cleopas staring into the face of Jesus himself. For Cleopas and his friend, their sadness and their despair turned to hope and joy when they encountered the resurrected Jesus and the resurrection became real to them in their lives, first through their heart and then through their eyes. In the word interpreted and in the fellowship around the table, those disciples discovered and encountered Jesus and came to believe. In the breaking of the bread and in remembering how he had taught them on the road, the disciples recognized the risen Lord. That sad walk home to Emmaus turned into a joyful trip back to Jerusalem. The doubts that drove them away from the community and the fellowship of the other disciples were now overcome by the desire to rush back into the fold and share what they had seen and heard and felt for themselves. Friends, may it be so for us once again. And for those people today who have yet to encounter the risen Christ. Because Jesus Christ is risen indeed. So search for him in your hearts. And then through your hearts given over to Christ. That you may see a great deal more than with your eyes alone. And perhaps then the resurrected Jesus will become just as real for you. Cutting to your heart with the truth and setting it on fire as never before so that you may be the ones who rush to join the fellowship and share what you have seen and heard and felt in your hearts.
Amen. Let it be so.